All right, here we go, everybody. We are back for another amazing episode of Black Coffee with a Side of Candor. Welcome back to our podcast. I am Nikita Gadsden here with my amazing co-host, Monique Gibson. How are you doing today, girl? Good, girl. We just came off of what they're calling Dalaska, Dallas, <laughs> Alaska, because of the severe 1.1.200 ounces of ice that we got here. So yeah, mm. it's, it's the first day yeah. out. It's been three or four days we've been locked in. So, so excited oh, wow. to be back to life again. <laughs> oh. Well, we here in Chicago, where it is uh, a nice 11 degrees, we'll mm. be praying for y'all, you know, mm. in, in your journey in, in wintertime in Dallas. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, it's brutal. Oh, well. It looks like you have a partner um, in this horrible weather you're experiencing. And we have a guest who also is fighting through the ice and the cold in Dallas area. We have Dr. Nick, Nick, Nikki Delk with us today. How are yes. you today? Hi. <laughs> we are so excited. I mean, as you guys know, for if you haven't been watching the or listening to the podcast, maybe you don't know how how amazing the guests are that we've been having and today's guest is no different so take a sip while you listen to this incredible biography of this amazing guest of amazingness yes <clears throat> dr nikki delk is a tenured associate professor in biological science and endowed cecil h and ida green professor in systems biology science and the Assistant Vice President for Research Development in the Office of Research and Innovation at the University of Texas at Dallas. Her research lab studies inflammation-induced cancer progression and treatment resistance. Dr. Delk has been named on the list of 1,000 inspiring Black scientists in America. She's inducted into the Phi Kappa Phi Honor Society, commissioned as an Air Force officer. She obtained a doctorate in molecular biology from Rice University in order to pursue her childhood dream to be a cancer biologist in honor of her grandmother who passed from cancer. In addition to her love of science, Dr. Delk is passionate about mentoring and providing research training opportunities to students. She's equally passionate about the creative and performing arts, and that rings a bell with me. <laughs> In 2021, Dr. Delk merged her passions to create arts for science, to raise awareness to Delk Lab Center, um, to awareness of the Delk Lab Center research program, and to raise support for STEM mentoring and outreach through the arts. I told y'all, I mean, I know y'all looking at Dr. Delk like, ain't no way she did all that. But yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. She has. Yes. Dr. Delk, thank you so much for carving out time and being with us today. We are so grateful. So tell us a little, I mean, if there's any room to explain anything more <laughs> about what it is you have going on, um, we're just excited to have you here. So what Thank brings you, you um, to the Black Coffee with a Side of Candor podcast today? Well, I am here because I got to meet the lovely and amazing Monique um, yeah, through uh, um, a uh friend of ours uh, um, through the, we're both part of the African-American executive networking group. And we just hit it off and, and we're like, like immediate sisters. And so when she yeah. invited me to be part of 
your podcast, I was like, absolutely first super flattered that I would even be asked, but absolutely. I wanted to come and chat with you guys. Yeah. And I just have to say, look, when I saw her, I thought, oh, she must be somebody's daughter because she's, <laughs> she's beautiful, but she looks like she's 21. And then when she got up there, it was like, oh, well, I got my degree, my graduate degree, my PhD from here. I've done this. I'm an Air Force officer. And I was like, what? what? And I mean, just so sweet and humble. I mean, oh my God, freaking amazing. She, Thank yeah, you. amazing. She is. Thanks, Mo, for making this connection. Super excited. Um, before we kick off uh, the topic, let's take a quick look. We're going to take a look at a clip from the movie The Nutty Professor to kick off this topic. Let's take a look. Shelly, you've been the guinea pig long enough. It's time to see if this stuff really works. about what we're talking about today. And then I'll ask Dr. Delk about the study professor. And, and is this how things be going on in your lab? <laughs> right, right, right. So today we are talking about superheroes, superpowers, and STEM. Mm -hmm. So super excited to get into it, uh, to knock down just some of the impressions that people have about super powerful women and others in, in research. So super excited. Yeah. So, Dr. Delk, you know, this 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 whole uh, nutty professor clip, is, is this what y'all be doing in, in the lab? So, yeah. So I'll tell you, I'm, I'm glad you picked the nutty professor because just the title alone <laughs> um, demonstrates what people think about when they think of, of scientists. Right. And so the nutty professor doesn't necessarily represent who we are. Um, of course, caricatures, there is some fact based in caricatures, but when you think of historically how scientists are presented to the world, we're presented as mad, socially awkward, one-dimensional, but in fact, collectively, we're not that. Um, we have families, we have friends, we have hobbies, social lives, and it just so happens that we happen to also be very curious about how the world works, and in discovering mm -hmm. how the world works, we want to use that to help people. So, um, mm. So that's what I would say that the Nutty Professor is not an exact representation. Um, <laughs> we're definitely more than that, but it it is how historically, of course, scientists are are thought to be. Yeah. yeah. Why do you think there's such a diversity gap in the STEM careers? Yeah, yeah. So it's because of interest in mm. the field, and it's also because of access. So mm. um, systemically, when you look at education in grade schools, when you look at, at the unfortunate systemic racism that we have in the educational system, we don't have, um, as and I'm going to speak in terms of African-Americans specifically, so I'm going to talk about mm -hmm. that demographic, but we don't have um, necessarily the same resources that other yeah. schools might have 
Um, and, and so that feeds into some of the gaps in knowledge when we're, as we're going up through school to make us prepared for some of these STEM fields. So when you talk about STEM, you're talking about science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. So first you have just lack of resources when, um, uh, at, at the grade school level and preparing our kids to be, <clears throat> preparing our kids to be, um, be uh, prepared to go into a STEM field. The other thing too is we historically, because of lack of access, are made to think that these fields are hard for us as Black folks, right? Mm -hmm. They're considered hard. Math is considered hard. Science is considered hard. So we're thought that we we're thought we're taught to think we don't have the aptitude for it, which is absolutely not the case. We absolutely have the aptitude for um, for these fields. I was in um, Little Rock, Arkansas at the, I think it's the Mosaic Templar uh, Museum, some uh, uh, maybe about a year or two ago. And I'm going through this museum. It's a historic, it's a African-American history museum out there. And I think it was in the maybe 1800s, they had pictures and things up. So you're looking at these towns, looking at the town of Little Rock back then, their physicians, right? Because these towns were segregated, they had to have a physician in this black town. So physician is black, right? They had to have a pharmacist. The pharmacist is black. They had to have <clears throat> teachers. All the teachers are black, right? They they had to have lawyers. All the lawyers are black. They had to have a, a um, governing system. All the legislators are black. So we do have the aptitude for these fields, right? But somewhere along yeah. the way, we, we've been marginalized into thinking that, again, we don't have the aptitude for it. And then, so then that also breeds lack of interest. So mm -hmm. if you're if you're going through the school system and, and you're, you know, taught that, oh, math is really hard, science is really hard, um, you don't see people going like that look like you going into that field, you don't see representation of your race or your culture in that field, you're not going to be interested in doing it. Um, yeah. And so I think it's both. It's both lack. It's both a lack of access or a limitation on access and um, and a um, lack of interest. Now, the difference between when I was growing up or my grandparents were growing up or my mom was growing up and now kids now kind of don't have an excuse because they have access to information through their cell phones. Right. Yeah. So as long as you learn how to be discerning about the information that's out there you can really, in some cases, teach yourself these, these skill sets yourself. Even if you are at an institution or at a grade school, or, you know, high school that doesn't have maybe the best textbooks or maybe, um, you know, doesn't have the STEM club or the science or biology club. If you're really interested in it, it it's your cell phone. Pick up your cell phone, get out there, start reading about it. Um, especially now that we're in a virtual world, there's all kinds mm -hmm. of academies online. Even I, as a professor, go and will look online to some of these. Uh, there's something called the Khan Academy, where they do a mm -hmm. fantastic job of explaining concepts. And I'll even, as a professor, will go and be like, oh, I need to, let me look at Khan and see if they uh, did some explanation of this topic, right? So I think nowadays, it's more getting kids, uh, especially in our community, getting them interested in the field and, and yeah. getting them uh, to realize that it's important for them to go into this field. It's not boring. It really is fun. It is exciting. You're not the nutty professor. You know, you can be cool and be a scientist too, um, or going to, you know, going to the STEM fields. I think um, if we start promoting that to our kids, um, yeah. uh, that will, that will, will, uh, 
make the gap less, right? We won't have yeah. so much of a gap or so much of a, a, a lack of diversity in, in the STEM fields. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that um, interest and that representation do go hand in hand. And I wonder, um, based on your, your reference to uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, when we had a community where it was just African-Americans and we, re we were represented in every profession, I wonder if there was an increase in interest in some of these other career paths and professions in that community um, versus now where the majority of the careers that you see African-Americans, at least th that are uh, publicized in social media or mainstream media is athletics and entertainment. And so there's not a push and it may be intentional. There's not a push to demonstrate and highlight the diversity of the career paths that are that are available to to young people and young African-American people in particular. So I do I wonder what that uh, what the difference in the interest in these kinds of fields may have been in communities and times like what you referenced uh, for Little Rock, Arkansas. So so going back to intentional, the word when, when you use the word intentional. Absolutely, there was an intent to break down black communities, right? Like there that was that was intentional to break down mm -hmm. these, these black communities and, and probably run a lot of these these businesses, you know, run these businesses out of business. Um, the other thing too mm -hmm. is when you're dealing with just education, um, if now you're you're breaking down these black communities and now we're we're, we're becoming more in, we maybe are having to become more integrated, okay, who are they going to let into medical school? Are they going to let a whole bunch of Black kids into medical school? Are they going to, probably not, right? Are they going to let mm -hmm. a bunch of Black kids into law school? Probably not, right? So you're being shut out. You're starting to be mm -hmm. shut out of maybe some of the fields that by necessity, because we did have our own communities, we had to be up on. Now you're now the tide is turning and we're being systematically shut out of, of opportunities. Yeah. We, we don't have the access anymore. Right. Um, yeah. Like I said, even when you think about things just simple as textbooks, right, getting the 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 earliest edition of a textbook and they're like seven editions in. But you, know, <laughs> you go to this one school in a black town and they've got edition one and we made all these new mm -hmm. discoveries. Right. And, and right. You, you don't have those textbooks to, to teach that. And then so then when you're going to take the MCAT or you're going to take some standardized tests and you're trying to get into a school, you're not going to have the grades or the. The, the background information to be able to get, you know, to pass those tests to get into those schools. So there, I, yeah. there, there were, it, I, I think there was definitely, has historically definitely been intentional um, uh, systematic things put into place to keep us out of these spaces. Um, something that with, so, so fortunately, um, there have been voices, and I think especially with civil rights and sort of post-civil rights, there have been voices out there that recognize the disparities, not just the disparities mm -hmm. in STEM, but it also goes into health disparities too, which which all goes together. Health disparities, STEM, STEM field disparities. So there were voices out there, some people who I'm privileged enough to know that back in the 70s, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, started saying, okay, you know, we, we got to do something about this, right? And they spoke up and, and um, you know, I'm thinking about, for example, at the National Institutes of Health, there was a group that was like, we got to get, we got to start training more, more underrepresented groups. And so they actually started a center 
for, you know, for that, that focuses on health disparities and that focuses on getting underrepresented groups into the STEM fields, right? That was part of my training was funded through those programs like that, right? So I was able to benefit from people that's that did something about it, right? Just didn't complain, but actually went and did something about it and said, okay, we need to get some funding behind this. We need to set up programs. That's one of the reasons too, for me doing the arts for science where I bring in African-American high school kids into the lab. Part of it is it's one thing to sit here and be like, oh yeah, you know, we only represent. It's another thing to be like, okay, I got a platform. What can I actually do about it? Yeah. Right. And so people that once they got into a place where they could do something about it, it was those folks that then started to to change things. And, and again, what I'm hoping with it, with young folk having so much access to information now is that they'll take advantage of that and not squander opportunities to go into the STEM fields and not look, again, not look at STEM as something that's boring or not cool. And then you, you said something you, you were talking about like the entertainment industry and athletes. So the other piece too, and I think this just comes from Again, historically, us coming out of slavery, us coming out of Jim Crow, going through the civil rights movement is their status associated with money, right? And the faster you can get money, the faster you can get the nice car and the Birkin bag and all of that. Well, what's the quickest way to do that? It's through athletics and entertainment, right? And in athletics and entertainment is typically based on natural talent. Um, Mm -hmm. And so if you're not, and we, we, are naturally talented people, right? We're naturally talented dancers. We're naturally talented all, athletes. Every we're way. naturally ta- <laughs> right. We have this, these natural talents that then we're able to translate into money. And so yeah. think about it. If you're not, if you're not getting access to education or the type of education that would get you into a Harvard or MIT, but you're this naturally talented dancer, what are you gonna do? Right. And you know that you can go and make money in Hollywood or go make money as an athlete. Well, that's what makes sense to do. But But see, I think it's a little bit of a if you think about um, making money and and people people show what they what they want you to see as far as money, because a lot of times these athletes. They ain't making as much money as we think. I mean, there are these big rosters of people on these teams and everybody is not making millions of dollars. And even if they do, if you look across the the spectrum of their lives, how how well have they uh, maintained and managed that money? But that's a whole other conversation. But no, no, no. So I want to, can can I just say to that point, that goes back to access to education. Because mm-hmm. one of the things we're not taught, I know I wasn't taught it. I, I wasn't taught money management and investing in the stock market. Those weren't things that I was taught growing up, right? right? And so again, that goes back to what I was saying before, just kind of the access to information to be prepared because there, there's no way you should be going into the NBA and not leaving it a gazillionaire. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, exactly. like you, you, that it just doesn't make sense, right? But that's exactly yeah. what happens. And then the the and like you were saying before about what what media shows us, they show mm-hmm. the successes, but they don't show that for every Kobe Bryant, there's ten thousand, right? That didn't make it. Right. Yeah, right. I, I I was gonna say so. So I'm passionate about youth sports, and I, I coached um, girls basketball for quite a few years. And the stats are amazing. Like your chances of making it to the NBA, the NFL, 
is like one in a couple hundred million, I want to say. Oh so, so your chances oh are real, like, boo, like you, you probably aren't going <laughs> to make it. And I'm, I'm all for athletics. I am. I, I think there's so much to be learned from playing on a team and, and building your confidence. But I think to your point, Dr. Delk, like the kids don't understand the reality. Like, sweetie, like that's not your reality. Yeah, Most likely right. they're not. You're not, not that you can't shoot for that, but like my mom always said, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. Like you have something right. you can fall back on your education. Right. If you make it great, I'm so happy for you. In yeah. case you don't, you need to have a solid education or something else to fall back on. And I think yeah. we need to have a conversation about even if you do make it, because our bodies can only endure that yes, kind of physicality right. for so long. That's so right. do both, because you're going right. to need to have some after your body in case that's you right. get injured or whatever. And when you, when you get done playing in your career, you can't hardly walk. Now what you're going to do, you know what I mean? It has to be. It should be a, a both and, and it, again, we keep going back to this access and yeah. to information and interest and a multitude of, of of career paths and and opportunities. We we gotta we gotta re, yeah. re, reframe our mindset and and for for success. Um, yes. But yeah, I, I'd like to I'd like to know. A, a, so we've talked about the access and the interest. Why, why is it important for um, African-Americans to get an interest or gain a level of interest in pursuing careers in STEM? Yeah, so so the first thing that I always think about in terms of why, when, when I think about this question of why it's important is for our community, there, there are areas and topics that are specific to our community. And what's one of the really, really cool things about being a scientist is that you get to decide what you're going to what you're going to study. Right. So I have my own lab. I get to decide what the direction of that lab is. That's gonna, that's based on my experience. So I became a cancer researcher because my grandmother died from cancer. If she hadn't died from cancer, I honestly don't know. Well, I always tell people I would have been an international superstar, but I, I honestly <laughs> don't know what I would be doing if, if, um, if I, you know, real, you know, speaking real, um, I don't know yeah. what I would be doing if my grandmother hadn't died from cancer. So my specific area of research is based on my specific experience. There yeah. are things that specifically affect the, the Black community. And if we want those areas addressed, we're, we maybe have to maybe have to be the ones to do it right so um i there's things like food deserts i, I don't know if you guys are familiar with food deserts. i know they have plenty of those in chicago um yes it, it takes the epidemiologist the black epidemiologist to have an interest in that to want to go in mm -hmm. and study that right um black women suffer from fibroids it takes yep. somebody who gives a crap about fibroids to actually do research on it right yeah. so part of part of us going into these fields it is for the greater community. Everything we study is for the greater good. But there are things that that do affect us specifically. My lab studies breast and prostate inflammation and breast and prostate cancer. Turns out black folk are, are affected by breast and prostate cancer. Although the research we're doing is going to affect the entire, you know, community in, in, uh, in general, it does have a specific hit towards towards the black community. So so having us in these fields, we're able to address problems that affect our, our communities. Um, because in some cases, if it doesn't affect you, you're not going to think about it. And it's not even 
necessarily that other groups don't care. It just may be that it doesn't cross your mind. If you didn't grow up yeah. in a neighborhood with food deserts, why would it even cross your mind to study that, right? If you right. didn't grow I've up been- with a, a family full of diabetics, why would it even cross your mind that, oh, I'm going to study diabetes, right? So, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, and that's, it's a, when, when you frame it that way, it becomes an easy parallel to make when you consider folks that um, have hair care products that are geared towards Afri- Black hair, African-American hair. If you, I mean, so, and talking about STEM and somebody's got to be testing the chemicals right. and the interplay between those. So uh, to, to future people, people who are not <laughs> as old as I am and already settled in the career because I'm not going back to school. But, um, <laughs> you know, there are opportunities that are specific to your interests that you could pursue mm-hmm. um, and make a, a big impact. So beyond this whole thing of making quick, big money and flashing, right? Yeah. You You can literally consider wow and i don't know how what it's like in texas but in chicago now there's as many dialysis centers on every corner as liquor stores and churches that's mm-hmm. like the third biggest mm-hmm. thing and mm-hmm. it's like what the heck is happening to everybody's kidneys yeah. um and 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 why this is what that's the answer we're just gonna pop up all these dialysis centers so if you're if you're curious you mentioned curiosity if you're yeah. curious that's an opportunity to figure out, hmm, well, let me go and drive in Bolingbrook or some other communities that are not primarily African-American and see, are there as many dialysis right. centers there as well? And if not, okay, that means they're affecting our community more. And why? And what can right. we do? And uh, there's you know, absolutely, there's absolutely. So I was, I mentioned the health disparities earlier that help that the area of health disparities addresses all those questions that you're talking about and again mm-hmm. it it's we're the folks in those spaces we're the scientists in those spaces looking at those questions it, not exclusively but we're definitely mm-hmm. there that's where a lot of us are okay yeah so something amazing. yeah something you said dr Doug, earlier that i think is so important um the the idea of when a young girl, a young African-American girl sees a woman, an African-American woman like yourself doing the freaking amazing things that you're doing, then she can visualize herself yeah. doing yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So that kind of segues into, you know, the, the next question of what, what kind of opportunities are there in, in STEM? Oh, my goodness. It is so many. So in terms of specific uh, career fields or um, job titles you could have. So you could be a principal investigator. So that's what I am. So that's someone who has their own own lab. And that could be at an academic institution. That could be at a hospital. But we're called principal investigators. You could, of course, be a professor. I'm a professor as well. You could be an administrator. I'm also an administrator. You could do that <laughs> as well. Um, you could be a consultant. You could work for a biotech company. Um, you can be a program manager. You can work on clinical trials. You can work at an engineering firm. I mean, it's just pretty much endless, the kinds of jobs that you can do with a a STEM degree. Um, In terms of very, some of the very specific subspecialties, there's molecular biology, there's microbiology, there's chemistry, biochemistry, mathematics, chemical engineering, mechanical engineering, 
anything you can think of, anything that you're curious about, there's going to be a STEM specialty title that you can fall under. Um, so even I'll go back, I'll just go back to the food deserts again. Someone like an epidemiologist, right, might be involved, a population scientist might be someone that's in, in, involved in that kind of research. With a dialysis research, that could be a molecular biologist, that could be a translational scientist, that could be a clinical researcher. Um, it, it's just the whole uh, whole myriad of, of, of different types of career fields that you can go, go into through STEM. With the so bachelor's degree, PhD, master's. Okay, so you don't even have to like, I mean, you you could break in the field with a bachelor's degree. You yeah. don't have to be afraid that mm -hmm. I'm going to have to go to school, even though there's nothing wrong with going to school for it a long time, as long as you need, but you don't have to be afraid that, okay, I got to go to 25 years of school before I could. Well, so I'll tell, well, it's funny to say that. So I'll tell you what ends up happening is, you have, and it, this is what ends up happening. So I, my lab, I train a lot of undergraduates, right? So they're getting their bachelor's and they're either pre-med or neuroscience or whatever. They end up doing research and then now they want to be researchers, right? So then some of them will end up going on and getting their master's or going on and getting their PhD. But you can definitely go into the field with your, you can stop with the bachelor's and go into the field. The only, um, caveat I would say to that is it does limit your earning potential. So the higher up you go in terms of um, education, the the higher your earning potential and you're eligible for more management types of positions where when you get to the management level, that's when you can make the policy, right? That's when you have the quote unquote seat at the table and you can make policies and you can do things like I'm doing and be like, huh, I think I want to start an arts for science that does a summer program, right? Like I, I can do that because I have, because I'm Dr. Delk and I have a lab, right? If I wasn't Dr. Delk without a lab, I wouldn't be able to have that, that platform. And you're, you know, that's going to come if you have, you know, your advanced degree in terms of yeah. time. So just so you know, time-wise, so the bachelor's is four, let's say you wanted to do engineering. Bachelor's is four years. If you did a master's, that's typically about two. Um, engineers, chemists, they tend to stop at their master's because they can go into industry. Um, okay. If you're in the life sciences, say like physics or or um, uh, biology or something like that, you'll typically go further and get the PhD that's on average about five years. And then after that, you go into the workforce. So in the whole scheme of your life, it's not a lot. It's really not. It goes by really fast. Trust me. It really does go by fast in terms of the education. Yeah. Yeah. Could yeah do that. it, that's not long. And I would say, you know, when you're young, you go, oh my gosh, like uh -huh. another 10 years. Uh -huh. But but reality, ten, it really is not that long. It's not. I mean, it's not. It, it really isn't. So and let me and let me just say this. If you're going to go for your PhD, most of the time you skip your master's. So I don't have a master's degree. So you can cut those two years out. Mm. So you can go that straight from good. undergrad into a PhD program. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need a master's know degree. Some people do the master's because they do feel like, oh, I'm supposed to have a master's degree. Um, mm -hmm. But it you don't need it because typically the master's degree is just more education, more classes, which you're going to get those same classes with the PhD. So like I, I teach a graduate course that has master's and doctoral students in it. They're, you're learning the same material. What the addition with the PhD is, is that you are in a, you're doing research to write your thesis on. So that's where the time commitment comes in. 
but the education is the same for the master's. The, co the coursework is the same for the master's as the PhD. So you don't actually have to do a master's program. Some schools won't accept you if your intent is to stop at a master's. So that so you have to go into that program with the intention of getting your PhD. And by the way, PhDs okay. are paid for. You get a stipend. So you should not go in master's programs you have to pay for. PhDs are are you don't pay for them. What? Yeah. So what PhD pro Yeah, yeah. So PhD program in the <laughs> life sciences in the STEM fields. I can't speak for any other field. In the STEM fields, when you apply for a PhD program, you're given a stipend to live off of. Now you ain't balling, right? You gotta have a roommate probably, and you know, it, you're not balling, but you get a stipend to live off of, and your tuition is paid for, so it's free. So don't uh, don't go to any PhD program that you gotta pay for it. That that's a scam. In the in the in the paying for this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it by grants? Like how who how how is this so? How how is this so? Yes. <laughs> How can this be? So how it, the reason this is so is because it, it's twofold. So the when you are getting your PhD, you're a, you're a teaching assistant. And so you help with the classes, right? So I have teaching assistants that help me with, with my class of 150 undergraduates, right? They grade exams. They may teach some lectures. They help with the workshops. You're getting paid for that, right? And then we write grants that the government then gives us money to offset uh, tuition and, and, and be able to give students stipends as well. Because, and the reason being is the PhD is your job. So technically you should not be working while you're working on your PhD. So it is your job. So we have to give you money to live off of. When people are doing master's degrees, and especially when you think about business, right? You're probably working mm -hmm. your job and then you're going to school at night. With the PhD, mm -hmm. all your effort, all your time, is devoted to that. So you're given money to live off of and you're you're given uh, tuition waivers. So you don't pay tuition. Interesting. They should have something <laughs> like that for law students because honey, the money I owe for this law degree yeah. is criminal. Wow. wow. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah, they should have that for law school and medical school because I know those medical school to, uh, tuition is insane Ooh. too. But PhD, PhDs are free. <laughs> Y'all hear that? Listen, listen wow. to these gems. PhD in STEM. PhD STEM. Yeah. yeah. STEM. That's another incentive <laughs> right there. So we were going to talk a little bit about why why Black women in particular may want to get involved in STEM. But I think we kind of touched on some of the yeah. things in terms of being able to focus in on some of the issues that matter most to our community, um, mm -hmm. knowing that many of us suffer from diabetes and deal with issues like fibroids um, and breast cancer, yeah. um, to be able to focus in and lead research and solutions for um, issues like that, that yeah. typically uh, affect our community. That's, that's to me, I think is a, a huge incentive for, for wanting to get involved in STEM. And so I do see a lot of programs for um, young girls or women or um, youth to um, introduce them to STEM. But I think we are, we have really, really touched on beyond the youth why people who be in their post-secondary education endeavors would want to to um, get a, an education or a PhD in STEM because y'all somebody yeah. gonna pay for it. No, PhD. Right. Exactly. exactly. Okay. 
So, oh, so I got this like well, thug light hit me. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm trying to figure out a way. That's because you're glowing. Like, that's because you got all yeah. of this uh, amazing <laughs> like, um, STEM yeah. education. Like, oh my god. <laughs> Okay, I think that's better. <laughs> so, so you know, we we talked also a little bit about um, some of the types of professions that are highlighted in mainstream media and such. Mm-hmm. How does STEM study and research and that kind of work? How does that align with some of these professions that Black folks tend to gravitate towards? Would you say? Well, hmm. In terms of step, oh, well, you know what? In terms of aligning with, I'll speak to the arts, if I can speak to that, in terms of aligning, it is such a cool phenomenon that most, if not all, scientists are actually very, very creative people. So mm. in terms of, and so I'll I'll sort of put science with, I'll, I'll use the entertainment business, right? Because I, I sort of teased earlier and said I would have been an international superstar if I wouldn't doing this. So um, (laughs) in terms of dance, dancing, singing, painting, uh, writing, um, being a musician, it is incredibly common for scientists to have those aptitudes as well. Mm -hmm. And so um, what you'll find, interestingly enough, and that's what I was saying earlier, we're not one dimensional. What you'll find is in terms of hobbies, a lot of scientists mm-hmm. will have creative arts as their hobby. Okay. And okay. Um, and I think it works in the opposite direction too. I think creatives have a strong aptitude for science because they're using the same skill sets. So you have to be analytical. And if you think about someone mm-hmm. who is writing music, right? There's a, there's a certain level, level of, you are being creative with the melody, but there is this analysis that you're doing as you're coming up with the chords and what the notes are going to be and that kind of thing. And you're intentional about it. So, and, and of course the scientist has to be analytical, but you also have to be creative as a scientist because you have to, in order to make discoveries, a discovery is something that's new. And that yeah. is not what the paradigm is or what we know to be, right? That's what makes it a discovery. And so you have to have a creative mind to accept something that you didn't know before to be mm-hmm. part, be, be true. And so, um, and then even in terms of designing experiments and how to interpret the data, you can't be so one track mind that you don't allow yourself to, to make the discovery. So again, uh, scientists have to be creative, creatives have to be scientific in, in my mind. So I think those those two go together very well. I love that. I think it gives the uh, level of humanity to to science and and those fields, and kind of dispels that perception of the nutty professor. Yes, you know <laughs> that's not quite what it is. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mo. You were gonna say something? No, no, no. I was just gonna say that what Dr. Depp was just talking about. I, I just thought was a great kind of path to talk about her arts for science program. I mean, because when she's not doing cancer research <laughs> in her spare time. <laughs> Look, so let me, yeah. let me tell you, so you know how you were, you were talking earlier say, oh, how do you fund, how do you pay for all this stuff? Right. So, you know, being able to go to graduate school for free and all that. Well, in terms of the research and, and it's sort of the way the the impetus for arts for science actually was that saying, what is it? Uh, um, invention necessity is the mother of invention. So something like, yeah. something like that. So one of the things that the way that we pay for science actually is we write for grants. 
right? So you have to write, you write to the government for grants, you write to foundations, the university that you're at or the institution that you're at, if you're not at a biotech, so if you're at a biotech company, their, their products that they sell pays for their research. But if you're at an academic institution or, or a hospital, for example, doing research, um, we don't have a product, right? So the things that my students are doing, we're not selling it. It's, it's science that gets published and, you know, for the world to see. Um, so in order to generate funds, we have to go out and write grant funding. The university will give you some money to get you started. But then after that, as a principal investigator, it's my responsibility to raise money so that we can actually do experiments. Right. Because all that stuff that all those that, you know, that nutty professor clip, all those test tubes that and, and all of that, <laughs> that somewhat you have to pay for it. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and there are a lot of consumables, things that we use that we have to replace. So with all that being said, I um, decided to think outside the box and do some crowdfunding for the lab and um, had two successful campaign campaigns through the university. But a really close friend of mine knows that I paint. And I don't paint for other people. I just do it for myself, just kind of like a, you know, work-life balance release kind of thing. And so they knew I painted and, and said, you should sell your paintings to raise money for your lab. And mm. I said, oh, no, 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 nobody's going to want to buy my paintings because right, th this is for me. I'm not, I'm not a painter. It, it's just something I do for myself. And, but because I do dance and I have a lot of friends in the dance community and because creatives are usually multi-talented, right? They can do 9,000 different things. All these dancer friends I knew were also artists. A lot of them were artists. So I reached mm -hmm. out to them and said, would they donate some of their artwork um, to me? Because I'm going to have this event um, to raise money for my lab. And I said, well, I got to call it something. And I said, oh, I'll call it Arts for Science. That's a catchy name, right? Yeah. And so I ended up having an art option, um, raised money. It was a lot of fun. Um, one of my um, friends who has a dance company, they performed. Um, mm -hmm. Another girlfriend of mine, she's a singer. She came down, she sang. Um, one of my students is a semi-professional tap dancer. She performed. And then we had all this art. A lot of my students from my lab, they donated pieces because, again, artists happen. You know, I was saying scientists are very... Uh, um, artistic. So a lot of them are really artistic. So they donated pieces. So we had this really fun time. Um, it, it was just, it was such a great time. So that first year, Arts for Science, I raised money for the lab and I had some money left over. So I decided, I said, oh, you know what, this will be a really good outlet for me to do outreach. The outreach that is important to me. So the mm -hmm. outreach that is important to me as an African-American woman is getting African-American kids into STEM. So yes. while Dr. Delk, the employee at UT Dallas, can't necessarily say I'm bringing exclusively or, you know, I'm going to target black kids and bring them into my lab. Nikki Delk, Dr. Delk, founder of Arts for Science, can do that, right? Because I can make Arts for Science whatever direction I want it to be. And so mm -hmm. I said, OK, well, through Arts for Science, I'll bring African-American kids into my lab to give them research experience. And then some of that money that we raised from the art auction went towards being able to, to do that. So I did that as sort of a pilot this past summer, um, had another event, and now all of that money does go to the Arts for Science. It doesn't go to the lab anymore. All the money from the, the event we had and any events we have going forward will actually go to the, doing outreach to the community. That's now, amazing. I do want to make the point that 
my lab is extremely diverse. Um, I have every race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, just everything in my lab. And I love it. And I love it being that way. But as an African-American woman, I do have a obligation um, to, mm -hmm. to make sure that I'm, that I am giving back to my community, just like, you know, other my other colleagues that are in whatever group you want to put them into also reach out to their own communities. Um, and I have a platform to do it. And I am at a university that's very supportive of it because they do let me do my arts for science, you know, bring the kids into the lab um, because they could very well say, no, um, yeah. you can't use your lab, but they, they're super supportive um, in letting me um, use my lab space to, to do the arts for science um, summer outreach to the high school kids. That's amazing. Where, where can people learn more about the arts for science program? Yes. Yeah, so we're, I'm on Instagram at arts, A-R-T-S, the number four and science, arts for science on Instagram. That is phenomenal, guys. Make sure you yes. check her out. Check out Arts for Science on Instagram. Amazing work by an amazing, amazing <laughs> Black woman doing the doggone thing. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Delk, for making time to speak with us today. We really enjoyed this conversation Thank and you. really excited to be able to share with and our of, community. Can I, and can I just say this? Those of you with high school kids, please reach out to me. Please, Please reach out to me. We 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 as a community have to take these opportunities more seriously. So if you are in the uh, Dallas area um, and yeah. you want to reach uh, talk to me about your your African American high school kid doing research um, and through the Arts for Science program, please, please, please reach out to me. Awesome. Reach out. There's yes. opportunity. There's a way to make a difference. There's career paths. STEM is where it's at. <laughs> so thanks so much for tuning in guys we hope you enjoyed this episode and we ask that you would like share and subscribe and we'll see you next time thank you dr Del. thank you so much <laughs> thanks for tuning in to another episode of black coffee with a side of candor be sure to like add or follow this podcast on your streaming outlet of choice and don't forget to subscribe to our youtube channel Black Coffee with a Side of Candor for a visual podcast experience. Catch you next time.